John 4, 7 through 21. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. By this, we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love. And whoever abides in love abides in God and God abides in him. By this is love perfected with us so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment because as he is so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear for fear has to do with punishment. Whoever fears has not been perfected in love. We love because he loved us. If anyone says I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. This is the word of the Lord. Welcome to church. Uh, Please have a seat and say hello to Scott. Go and download the podcast from last week. He did a great job uh, and he's going to finish up with us this week. Man, I'm trying to hype you up. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it. Yeah, really appreciate that, Mike. Good morning, everybody. (laughs) All right. So, yeah, Chris has another week off, and I'm up here again. I'm going to continue talking about no favoritism, which was the title of my message last week. So I'm going to be very transparent here. i got to readily admit Last week was kind of difficult for me, just kind of putting that message together and sharing. There's always some hesitancy, you know, how far do you go? Are people going to be uncomfortable? Is this something we really ought to be talking about in church? And obviously my conclusion was yes, you know. So I'm very pleased that most of the seats are still here because I literally, when Chris called me, I said, dude, if nobody comes back, you know it's on me, okay? So... uh, But that's good. But if you remember last week, uh, if you were not here, I'm just going to quickly summarize, you know, what I talked about. So the gist of the message, you know, was from Acts 10. And what we're talking about is how God used a vision to Cornelius and a vision to Peter. Cornelius was a centurion. Peter was a Jew, two groups that didn't mix and brought them together. And in bringing them together, Peter said that now he really realizes that God is no respecter of person, is how some translations uh, have it. And others said that God shows no favoritism. And so looking at that, that God uh, shows no favoritism, I kind of dug into why is that so? How can God show no favoritism as compared to us? And just looking at my own life, 
you know, quite just honestly, I was like, wow, I, I have a lot to be desired in that area of favoritism because the truth of the matter is I do have, you know, prejudices and biases and whether they may not be as overt as, you know, many of the ones that are out there. But I think if we were really, uh, really looked inside ourselves, we would find out that we all have those things. So why is God able to be, to show no impartiality and to be impartial, to show no favoritism. And I cited three reasons. One is because God knows that we're all sinners and fallen short of the glory of God, so we're all the same in that, in that vein. Second is that we're all, we all are made in God's image, so he looks at us all as the same. And third, and, and most importantly, and I think this is where we probably would fall short, is that God's able to separate the sin from the sinner. While God may hate the sin, he still loves the sinner. And so he loves us all the same. And so uh, uh, in turn, we should do the same. So this whole idea of favoritism is talked about in the book of James. So if we could put up the focus scripture for today, uh, James chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Oh, we have a thing up there. I keep on forgetting that. So I'm going to go ahead and read that, and we'll get into the message. And before I do, I just want to pray, you know, over the message. Father God, just give us ears to hear your word, Father, a heart to receive it, Father, and just uh, eyes to look internally, Father, and to see if there's anything in this message that speaks to us individually, Father. Give us the courage to act on it. In Jesus' name, amen. So James chapter 2, verse 1 through 9. It reads, my brothers and sisters, believers in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ must not show favoritism. Suppose a man comes into your meeting wearing a gold ring and fine clothes, and a poor man in filthy old clothes also comes in. If you show special attention to the man wearing fine clothes and say, here's a good seat for you, but say to the poor man, you stand there or sit on the floor by my feet, have you not discriminated against yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my dear brothers and sisters, has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and to inherit the kingdom he promised to those who love him? But you have dishonored the poor. Is it not the rich who are exploiting you? Are they not the ones who are dragging you into court? Are they not the ones who are blaspheming the noble name of him to whom you belong? If you really keep the royal law found in scripture, love your neighbor as yourself, you are doing right. But if you show favoritism, you sin and are convicted by the law as lawbreakers. That's verse one through nine. I'm gonna add one other verse here that is very, very pertinent to the message. He follows that up by saying, for whoever keeps the whole law yet stumbles at just one point is guilty of breaking all of it. For he who said, you shall not commit adultery, also said, you shall not murder. But if you do commit uh, adultery, but if you do not commit adultery, but do commit murder, you have become a lawbreaker. That verse in and of itself, I think, kind of categorizes how we humans think about sin. We have a hierarchy of sin and we tend to look at others and judge others based on that hierarchy. In other words, if I just, if I'm only a liar, you know, I am better than the guy who steals, who is better than the guy who murders. 
And maybe, you know, in human eyes and in human minds, maybe that's the case. But in the spiritual realm, what God looks at it all, he says, all of it is sin and all of it separates you from, you know, from me. So having said that, I, I did a little research into how did favoritism, when did the Bible first start talking about favoritism? And this was very, very interesting to me. So if you think about it, throughout Genesis, the pain of sin is felt in every marriage and every family from generation to generation. And part of that sin is favoritism, and it's made very clear, you know, how parents uh, in, in the book of Genesis, and I'll share that in a minute, how parents were playing favorites to their children, and it was followed by sibling rivalry and a bunch of conflict. So, for example, Abraham loved his son Ishmael, right? That was born to Hagar, if you recall. But Sarah despised Ishmael and preferred Isaac. So you have, two, you have parents who are loving one over the other. And what did that lead to? So that led to a breach that still exists today because if you remember, uh, the, the lineage of Ishmael went, you know, was kind of Arabic, and then the, the, uh, of Isaac was Jewish, right? Until today, we still have a divide, right, between Arabs and Jew, all because of favoritism, you know, from, from Abraham. Um, that problematic pattern continued uh, in the next generation with Isaac and Rebekah, if you recall. Uh, Isaac uh, refers to Esau, whom he favors as his son, and Rebekah refers to her uh, favorite son, Jacob, as my son. So even before they were born, the twin brothers were wrestling in the womb. You know, they're wrestling in the womb, and, and there was some, some conflict there. And as it turns out, you know, Esau was so angry after they were born and all of that, that he plotted, you know, to kill his brother, just as Cain had done Abel. And so Jacob had to run for his life, you know, and, and live far away from Rebekah's extended family. Uh, the theme of parents playing favorites and sibling rivalry even goes a generation further. If you remember Joseph and his brothers, who were Jacob's kids. Now, Jacob loved Joseph more than the other kids. And we know how that ended, right? Joseph's brothers sold him into slavery, you know, and all of that. But one interesting thing happened in this is that to break this whole pattern of favoritism, Joseph, you know, after being elevated, you know, to where he was, he decided to be better and not bitter. And so that was, I think the Bible is trying to tell us that he was trying to, you know, break this cycle of favoritism because it can be so, so destructive. So I want to go into, I have a slide. There are three reasons why God condemns favoritism. So if we could put that slide up there, I want to share that now. Three reasons that God condemns favoritism. The first is that favoritism is inconsistent with God's character. Because God is impartial. Impartiality is an attribute of God. So he is absolutely and totally impartial in dealing with you, in dealing with me, and in dealing with, with mankind. That's the, the character that we need to adopt ourselves. Secondly, is favoritism is contrary to God's values. So James addressed this in the focus scripture 
Um, he addressed this when he said that believers shouldn't give preferential treatment to the rich as to the poor. Um, what would motivate this kind of be behavior? You know, getting you know, preferential treatment to the rich you know, versus the poor. Is it not because those believers that in your mind you're valuing somebody over the other? And we've seen that God doesn't do that. So, so many times if we look at our life, right, we'll see that we are valuing people over the other based on appearance, based on social class, economic class, or whatever. Uh, Mr. Ronnie told me a story last week after the service, which I had never heard before. He asked me, he said, did you hear, have you ever heard about, you know, the church getting a new pastor? And the pastor came in dressed as a, ho as a homeless man. And I said, no, I haven't. And he says, well, came in dressed as a homeless man. And as the congregation, you know, assembled, he kept on getting moved to the back and getting moved to the back because he just didn't belong. He didn't fit the, you know, the physical appearance of what the new pastor should be. So by the beginning of service, he was all the way in the back. And then once they introduced the new pastor, he walks all the way up, and his message was, we, we have a long way to go. And this is so much, so much uh, of that story is what we do, whether it's consciously or, or unconsciously, that's what we do. We're grouping people into little sects, and you know, we're valuing them over others based on you know, what they look like, based on their race, based on their socioeconomic status, or whatever. The third reason that God condemns favoritism, and James says this very clearly in his text, is that favoritism is sin, and God doesn't like sin. James makes it clear that favoritism is not just simply, you know, disrespecting other people or having a low value of other people. It is sin against God. And he says, if you show favoritism, you commit sin. So it is sin because it's contrary to the character of God and the command of God. So because favoritism is sin, there is no place for it in our hearts, in the hearts of God's people, and, you know, in the hearts of the church, in the hearts of anybody that claims to be a follower of God. So sin not only separates us from God, but as you can see in the lineage of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, it is destructive to us as humans. It is destructive to us as humans. So I want to emphasize that because I don't want us to minimize, like, oh, it's okay if I ostracize these people, and it's okay if I don't associate with these people. Because when we do that, we're sinning. And we are not you know, being, you know, in accord with what God wants. But worse yet, there's some dire consequences for that. It's destructive. It could be destructive to whoever you're, you're ostracizing. And obviously, we do not want to, you know, push people away from the kingdom. We want to bring them into the kingdom. So when we think of the attributes of God, uh, his divine nature and his characteristics, we usually think of things such as his holiness and his righteousness, you know, his omnipotence, his omniscience, his omnipresence, and we think of his, you know, that God is the same today as he was yesterday, and he'll be the same tomorrow. We think of his eternality, his sovereignty, his justice, his perfect grace, his, his, his love, his mercy, his faithfulness, his goodness, and all of those things are apropos. They're great. They're, they're exactly who God is. But another attribute of God that is not thought of or spoken of so much is his impartiality. So just as all those things are part of who God is, and we tend, we want to emulate that and to strive towards that, his impartiality is just another attribute, another characteristic of God that we should, you know, strive towards. 
So yet, that is such a serious and recurring theme throughout scripture where there is, you know, partiality shown and favoritism shown, and not just scripture, but in our society today, you know, if we're honest. Last week I talked about the, you know, I, I even read the preamble to the Declaration of Independence, and we can see that, you know, even the nation as a whole, maybe well-meaning people, it was so much harder, you know, to live out what the words written on the paper than it was to just write them. Okay, because when we're in power and we have authority, we tend to, you know, it, it, there's something in that power and authority that tends to look down on other people because of where we are. I can tell you about nations that were built on this kind of stuff. I, I, I admitted last week, I'm a, a descendant. My mother is a, is a Liberian. I happened to live in Liberia for seven years. You know, I was born here, moved to Liberia. One of the things that was very, very evident to me when I got to Liberia was the class, you know, there was a classism society, which was very, very strange to me. When we lived in Oregon, we were the only colored black family on our street, and we got harassed, and I'm not gonna go into all of that. But when my parents got divorced and my mother went back home to Liberia, what I first noticed was that my mother, being a descendant of free slaves, okay, went back to Liberia, and now they're the quote-unquote ruling class. And as a young kid at seven years old, I'll share this story. So my mother took in one of the indigenous uh, guys and said she was doing him a favor, and that's, this is what the so-called descendants of free slaves did. They would take in the indigenous people and help to educate them and do things for them. And as a young kid, not understanding the culture and the tradition, when the guy came to stay with us, uh, we had a two-bedroom place, and my mom and my sister were in a bedroom, and me and my brother were in a bedroom. And so the guy came to stay with us, and the very first night he was in, we had a little, a little pantry-type place, like, off the kitchen, and we put a bed in there, you know, for him to live. So the very first night, we all kind of took a shower or whatever, and he goes to take a shower, and my mom goes, where are you going? And he says, oh, I'm going to take a shower. And she says, well, no boy that lives with me is going to take a shower in the same bathroom that I use. Now, you know, no hate on mom. This was passed down from tra tradition. This is what happened when the, you know, the free slaves went back to Liberia. They were enslaved over here and hated how they lived. They went to Liberia and enslaved, pretty much, the indigenous people. And as a young kid, I said, Mom, why, why, where is he supposed to take a shower? Where is he supposed, he's, he's supposed to wash up? And she said, oh, well, they go and they do this, you know, behind the house. They take the faucet or whatever. And I remember saying at seven years old, well, Mom, if he can't take a shower in that bathroom, I'm not taking a shower in that bathroom. And so what I did, you know, because I didn't know any better, I'm a kid, he, he, we went out back, he showed me how to, you know, wash up in a bucket. And unfortunately, I, I lasted two days with him, and I told him, man, you're on your own. I ain't, I'm not doing this, you know. But, I, you know, I did last two days, and I, you know. But, so, when I talk about favoritism, it's not, I don't think my, my mom's a, you know, great lady, bless her, bless her soul, she, she passed last year. But, um, great lady, well-meaning, did a lot for this guy, educated him. But because of tradition and what she, how she was raised and this whole classist, classism thing, it's just what she did. And I tell that story to say that we all could be in that same position. Because of how we were raised, because of tradition, because of what has been passed down, 
we too may have those you know, uh, traits in us where we're treating people differently just because of who they are for no other reason, you know, because of who they are. Why do we, why do, we do that? Uh, and I want to talk about how this whole favoritism thing, how it made the root of it, how it starts, okay? We can see from the book of, of Genesis that we're just born, you know, with you know, a, a certain tendency to favor one over another for any number of reasons. But I also think that this is kind of a, a learned behavior. And having, when I say a learned behavior, there's some experiences that we go through in life that would cause us to favor one over another. But either way, there's no excuse, okay? It may start from a, a difference. It may be a physical difference, you know, that we look differently, that we think differently. Okay, it may start from a disagreement because I disagree or, you know, philosoph you know, philosophically we disagree on something. But it's a continuum. And this is very scary because it, it could end very, very, very catastrophically. So we go from a difference or a disagreement to dissatisfaction. So now I'm not happy with you. I'm going to ostracize myself from you. I have no part. Don't want to have anything to do with you. You know, dissatisfaction then grows into dissociation. You stay over there, I stay over here. That, you know, becomes, you know, you become distraught, which you become angry. After you become angry, you tend to demonize the people. And after you start demonizing that other side, it leads to destruction. And we see this all the time, whether it's a quote-unquote Christian bombing an abortion clinic, whether it's the, you know, Christians going and blowing up, you know, synagogues or, or mosques or whatever, because their difference or disagreement or dissatisfaction, you know, or dissociation is all, all of a sudden, it just keeps on growing and growing and growing. Now, I hope nobody in here, you know, gets to the point of, you know, destruction or even demonization. Okay, but when we let these seeds of filth and these seeds of sin just fester in our souls, this is what happens. It, it keeps on, you know, getting nurtured and watered and growing and growing until it just ends in very, very, very catastrophic situations. We as humans are judgmental. I am judgmental. Maybe you're not. I'm judgmental. Um, I would like for you to take a look at yourself and to see that, yes, you are judgmental, because in order to fix a problem, you got to recognize a problem. Okay, if you never recognize it, it's never going to be fixed. And to recognize a problem, we got to be honest with ourselves. Okay, we as humans, even Christians, even Christians, okay, we're not naturally inclined to be impartial. Okay, we tend to put people in pigeonholes. You know, and that's why I decided to change my dress today because, you know, I said I might have come down too hard on them last week, so let me put on, like, good dress so I can be accepted today, okay? <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I put a little hat on, you know. I figure, yeah, let me, you know, let me, let me be accepted. But, no, the truth is that we do put people in uh, predetermined, you know, stratified, hierarchical categories, you know. Um, you know, if it's by their looks, their clothes, their race or ethnicity, their social status, um, their personality, their intelligence, uh, perhaps their wealth or their power, um, you know, kind of car they drive, kind of house they live in, um, even the way they talk. You know, if I came in here and started dropping ebonics on everybody, you know, people may look at me differently, you know. But what does the Bible say about all of that? Okay, none of those things I just mentioned 
you know, are, there are non-issues with God. Doesn't, doesn't matter, you know, how much money you have, where you live, what kind of car you drive. Like all the outward appearance, you know, things that, that, that we tend to, you know, to, to put value on, you know, and to judge people by, all of those are non-issues with God. They're of no significance to him whatsoever. Um, in Deuteronomy, Moses declared, for the Lord your God is the God of gods and the Lord of lords the great, the mighty, and the awesome God. He then added that this great and awesome God who has the right to be whoever he wants to be, he could be anything he wanted to be, anything, you know, because he's got the power. He said, does not show partiality nor take a bribe. And he expects the same for us who claim to be his followers um, to reflect that. Um, the New Testament, you know, has several things to say about that as well. Uh, if you recall in the book of John to a crowd of unbelievers in the temple, Jesus said, do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment, with righteous judgment, not according to, to uh, uh, appearances. And Paul, uh, Paul said in the letter to, you know, he wrote, you know, letters to all these churches. He specifically emphasized that God is impartial in regard to social status, occupation, or a person being freed or enslaved. And so, like the Lord, you know, like our, our Lord, we as believers, you know, should treat the lowest paid laborer, you know, the same as we treat our boss. You know, we should treat, you know, the, the poor the same as we treat the rich. We should not separate them based on their background or who, you know, where they're from, how they act, none of that. We should love all people. So why should we not show partiality? Because if we do not treat those in need the way that God treats them, then his love is not in us. This is what Mike read. That's what that book of uh, uh, 1 John chapter 4, that's what it's all about. So we want to walk around here talking about how we're Christians and we try to internalize this and, and just be real selfish with our Christianity. Our Christianity, our belief, you know, our love for God is not meant you know, for us. It's actually meant that it's in us so that we go out and we spread that to other people and get people involved, invite them into the kingdom. That's what we're called to do. Um, in, in, in what Mike read, it says, if someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. So that's very, very plain, plain and simple. If you say you love God and you hate your brother, you know you're a liar. For the one who does not love his brother whom, whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And he goes on to say, in this commandment we have from him that one who loves God should also love his brother. I want to talk about a little bit about overcoming this temptation of, favor, of favoritism. Um, just highlight a couple of key points here. In Romans chapter 2, you know, it talks about that, that Favoritism stems from human inclination and biases. So we all have them. We all have them. Um, and to overcome favoritism, we must recognize our prejudices and seek God's help to transform our heart. I want to land on that one for a, little, for, for a minute. Because as we can see from Abraham on to Isaac on to Jacob and that whole lineage, this was, it's something, favoritism is sin. We're born into sin. We are born into sin. So we all are going to, you know, sin and fall short of the glory of God. But in order to overcome that sin, 
we can't, you know, try to do it in our own strength and say like, oh, I'm high and mighty, I can do it, because really the, the powers that are out there are like, it's overwhelming us, and that's why we all have sin in our lives, and that's why we probably all show favoritism. So to overcome it, we must recognize it, and we have to seek God's help to transfer our hearts, to transform our hearts. We have to seek God's help, and that's where the Holy Spirit comes in. We cannot, if you want to be prideful and self-righteous and think that you can, you know, become God, you know, become more like God in your own strength, I'm here to tell you that you're sadly, sadly mistaken. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. We are sinful by nature, and we need the strength and the presence of the Holy Spirit to help transform our hearts and transform our minds in how we think about people and how we interact with people. So this is going to be a daily, daily fight. It's constantly, you know, uh, uh, asking the Holy Spirit to come into your life, not only to change you, but to, before he changes you, he has to, to reveal where inside of you you need to be changed, okay? Where inside of you. When we think about this thing of favoritism or any other sin for that matter, it's always somebody else, if we're honest. It's always somebody else that is the problem. You know, it's the government and their laws, you know, or it's, oh, it's this sect over here that don't like these kind of people. You know, it's like, oh, these people have money, so they don't like the poor. And I'm here to say that you are the problem. I am the problem. Because instead of looking at everybody else and expecting more out of them than you do of yourself, we got to look at ourselves. And one of my favorite sayings is, I want to be the change that I want to see in the world. I want to be the change that I want to see in the world. So instead of projecting all of this on everybody else, you know, let's look at ourselves. All we can be responsible for in life is ourselves. That's all we can be responsible for. I cannot be responsible about how you think about me, by how you treat me, by whether or not you love me, but I can be responsible for my response to you each and every day. And that's the power of the Holy Spirit. So please, 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 if I can, you know, uh, implore you to do anything is to let's get in, on our knees and in prayer and rely on the Holy Spirit to change our hearts, to change our minds, to transform our hearts, to transform our minds so that we too can be the people that God wants us to be. I talked about a few things about the consequences of favoritism and we saw how, how destructive that can be. I even uh, talked about the Arabs and the Jews till today, okay? But Favoritism can also lead to social inequity, to injustices, and to the marginalization of, a cert of certain groups of people. Now, who wants that? Who wants to marginalize? If I asked anybody you know, in here today, do you want to marginalize any group of people? I'm pretty sure everybody would say no. Okay, I really don't want to do it. But does that mean that you're not doing it? I think we have to be intentional about the people that we hang around. We have to be intentional. If you're in circles that everybody looks like you and everybody talks like you, I think you need to reach out a little bit, okay? If you're in circles where everybody thinks like you, and, you know, whether it's politically or socially or whatever, I think you need to expand your, your, your circle, okay? Because we will never see the faults in us and in, in, in the error of our thinking if we're just in echo chambers and everything we think and everything we do is just echoed and is just like confirmed by all the people we're around. You know what happens when, when, when that happens over a long period of time? You become a cult. Because it's always oh, my way or the highway, it's this is the only way and everybody else outside of this fear of thinking, outside of this way of doing things, they're the problem and we're not the problem. And that is very, very dangerous, especially among 
people that claim to be believers in God. And we've seen it. We've seen it. We've seen, quote unquote, Christian cults, right? Where this is the way things have been done and everybody else has it wrong. So there's no room for improvement, you know, in any of those, in any of those people. It's this way or no way. So the, it, it creates resentment. Um, favoritism creates resentment among the unfavored. If I'm excluded, if I'm in a group that's excluded and everybody else is doing something a certain way, I'm not, I'm not allowed in that group and I'm like, you know, the, the black sheep, you know, the guy on the outside, obviously I'm going to be resentful and that's going to drive me away from you instead of attracting me to you. Can it, I mean, we agree there? It's going to draw me, it's going to send me away from you instead of attracting me to you. And we want to be a people that have a fragrance, you know, a certain scent, a certain demeanor and countenance about us that is drawing people onto us, okay? Not because we're great people, but because we are interested in building the kingdom of God. So who are all these favorites that we are playing, right? You and me. You know, is it our alignment with a group or a race or a class or a political party, you know, that has it all right and knows it all, and, but yet ostracizing and excluding and maybe even demonizing, you know, anyone on the outside, contrary to the word of God? Or is it loyalty, you know, to some institutional entity or, you know, or an authority, and we're blinded that, you know, that they too don't have it all right? You know, and, and we're passing judgment on everybody that's less fortunate, believing that they are deserving of their plight? Or is that who we want to be? That's contrary to the word of God, too. Or is it our marriage or our adherence to some, you know, traditional structure or traditional edict that has been passed down from generation to generation, and we just believe it, knowing that we're contrary to the word of God, mistreating people, but this is the way it's always, be, be, it's always been done, so I just stay silent? Or do we oddly stand by, you know, and look at injustice upon injustice, you know, as the order of the day? And hypocrisy just reigns supreme because it's okay for me or it's okay for my group. But if anybody else dare do it, you know, it's, it's not okay. Do we just idly stand by? And I think, you know, if we all thought about it, the answer to all of those are no, we don't do it. Anything that's contrary to the word of God, that's not who we want to be. Anything that is, you know, hurting the people of God, that's not who, who we want to be. You know, a wise man once said, and you probably know who this wise man is, an injustice to one is an injustice to all. And he also said, in the end, people will remember not the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. Ladies and gentlemen, Riverstone Church, God loves us all unconditionally. So we don't have to worry about proving, you know, to God and to ourselves, you know, anything by doing enough and working harder and being more spiritual. Um, God will still bless us and love us and direct us without ridicule, regardless of who you are, regardless of what uh, group you belong to. So we, knowing that, we should live knowing that God already loves us, but it brings him great joy, great joy when we pursue righteousness and we represent him like adequately. We represent who he is and who Jesus came on the earth to show us how to be. And we're all on different journeys with that. We're all on different journeys, but when we're guided by God, God will lead us to blessings for us individually and corporately. 
Now, some of you may wonder how this mindset impacts how we interact with others. So although we're going to have people that we favor, that we like more than others, right? I'm naturally attracted. You know, Mike's my boy. You know, good personality. That's my man, you know. But uh, so I might be, you know, drawn to Mike. It doesn't mean I have to mistreat somebody else. It doesn't mean I have to ostracize somebody else just because I'm drawn to Mike. Okay, so what God wants us to do is to remember to show his love to everybody. That's what God wants. God wants us to value every single human being as he values them, which is you're made in my image. I love you. I love you. It's not easy to do. It's not easy to do. Okay, the way that God loves people is not easy to do, but we know that that's what God wants us to do. And so with the help of the Holy Spirit, we should go ahead and do that. So as we make efforts to love God's people, and you know, as we love and value ourselves, we open the door to God bringing more into our lives than previously expected. Uh, that's a respect we can all appreciate. I want to close with a, with a prayer that I wrote, um, just to kind of wrap up this whole favoritism uh, mini-series, if you will. Um, so here's a prayer. It said, I wrote down, I said, Lord, we lament the many ways people are valued differently based on wealth, skin color, and any other factors. Help us to remember that you made every person in your image and love each of us deeply. Lord, we repent of the sin of favoritism, treating people based on anything else other than they are your creation and they deserve our love as much as they deserve your love. Riverstone Church, that's my message to you today. If I can implore you to do one thing, it's to look within yourself, find out where you're falling short in this area of favoritism, you know, expand your circle, you know, look for people out there. The Bible talks over and over again, you know, about the poor, helping the poor. We really need to get out there in the community. If we really want what God wants, which is to expand his kingdom here on earth, we got a lot of work to do. And that begins with each and every one of us examining our hearts and finding out where we're falling short, expanding our circle, and loving people into the kingdom of God. Amen.